And open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Christmas is that uh, one time of year when it's okay to sort of tell people what you want to get as a gift. <laughs> Call it making a Christmas list. Our kids used to uh, come out with a single space typed page <laughs> full of hopes and dreams <laughs> that were mostly outside of our ability to fulfill. Women like it if you get them something they really want without having to tell you what they want. They like to drop little hints that are so subtle, not even the NSA could discern them <laughs> as real bits of information. I have figured out the foolproof way, the foolproof way to give hints about what I want. Christmas, as we walk through the stores in that season, I'll look at something and say, that would make an excellent Christmas present. <laughs> um, the Apostle Paul wrote something in 1 Corinthians 9 that he was afraid would be taken as a hint about something he wanted. And immediately he had to clarify to say, no, 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 I'm not hinting about this. He wanted to make sure they got it right. Please follow as I read from 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these rights that I have as an apostle. Nor have I written these things that it should be so done to me. The Apostle Paul spent the first 14 verses of this chapter talking about how it is, it is right in the Lord's estimation for people who give their full time to the ministry to be supported by the ministry. And he told, talked about that and then said, but I have chosen not to do that. And he says it again here. Now he says, now also I'm not writing about this so you'll start supporting me now. He was afraid they would take that as a hint that they needed to start sending him offerings. Nor have I written these things, verse 15, that it should be done so to me now, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should take my, the, make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if it's against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more." And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law according to God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. 
rather than hinting about his support, Paul was just trying to explain the links to which he would go in order to proclaim the gospel as an example to the Corinthians in how far they should go in doing God's work. And what we really understand here is this, Paul was so committed to the gospel ministry that he freely gave up his personal rights in order to help others know Christ. That is the theme of this of this chapter in which Paul is giving a huge personal example to the Corinthians. You remember their original question was this, can we eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol? And instead of just saying yes or no, the apostle Paul said, here are some things you need to consider. The chief among which was this, you need to think about what your actions, how your actions will affect other people. And so the Apostle Paul said, now, here's an example from my life. When I went out to Corinth to preach, to declare that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, I did not take money from anybody because I felt that would hinder the gospel ministry. And he says, I have continued not to do that. He received money from other Christian churches who were already established, but he didn't take money from these people. He gave up the right to financial support He was so committed to gospel ministry that he gave up his personal rights. And he restates that again in verse 15 through 18. But I have used none of these things, none of these rights that I have to support, I have not used it. Verse 14 of of this right gives, uh, verse 14 of this chapter gives his right in detail. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But Paul said, look, I want to tell you why I am writing about this. He said, look at verse 15. I have not written this so that you would start supporting me because it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. I don't know about you, but when I see the word boasting... I think, that doesn't seem very Christian. The whole tone of scripture is that pride and arrogance are wrong and humility is a virtue. And so for him to use this word boasting uh, scares me a little bit because I know the tone of his life was to praise God and honor him like we see here. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The apostle Paul would have been the first one to say, you know, what, you know why I'm able to teach and write in such a way that God used it to record the scripture? It's because God gave me a gift. It's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. That was the tone of his life. But Paul isn't suddenly changing now and starting to brag about who he is. Look at verse 15. He says, he says I've used none of these rights I don't want anybody to think that I'm now changing and saying, please support me. He's referring us back to verse 12. If others are partakers of this right, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. So he made a boast, if you will. He made a claim. He said, I have not taken any support. 
And now a couple verses later, he says, now be careful, I'm not hinting that you start supporting me because if you started supporting me, my former claim would not be true. Instead, he said, I have a mandate to preach the gospel. Verse 16 says, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. The NIV translates that word necessity as I am compelled. New American Standard translates it, I am under compulsion. The Apostle Paul said, the fact that I go out preaching is not something to brag about. He said, it's, it's like, you know, I don't look at my life and think I'm a good man because I preach the gospel. He said, the reason I'm preaching is because necessity has been laid upon me. I am under a compulsion. What was he talking about? I think he he mentions the idea of it here in Galatians 1. God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is one of Paul's little testimony snippets that are scattered throughout the New Testament. What was Paul doing when God called him and turned him into the apostle? The apostle Paul was walking toward Damascus with the express goal of finding Christians and putting them in jail or persecuting them in some way to try to stop Christianity. Does that sound to you like a guy who's volunteering to preach about Jesus Christ? No, and that's his point. He said, I was a persecutor. He he says that, I believe in 1 Timothy chapter one, I was formerly an insolent man and a persecutor. But God, who is rich in mercy, reached down, boom, and got a hold of me and said to me, you're going to go out and preach among the Gentiles. The apostle Paul basically said, God told me to do this, and I'm out doing it. There's nothing to brag about there. God intervened in God's life like Alcoa Aluminum Works intervened in all of those employees' lives when they said, you're not going to work here anymore. Did they voluntarily choose to change occupations? No. Lord willing, they'll find other work, and someday they'll be known as workers in that new field. They will have a new occupation, which they were not seeking. They were used to going to work, getting a paycheck, taking a vacation, and boom, now you're going in a new direction. That's what happened to Paul. He had a whole life, and God just put his hand down and said, stop it and start doing this. And so the Apostle Paul's evaluation of, he says, the fact that I go out and preach, there's nothing to brag about there. That's not, he said, he said, look, look what he says there. Verse 17, if I had volunteered, there would be a reward in that. If I do this willingly, but he didn't volunteer. He was a conscript. But Paul did something to demonstrate his commitment to the gospel. What is my reward then, verse 18? That when I preach the gospel, I present the gospel of Christ without charge. 
He said, God got a hold of my life and said, you're going to now be a preacher to the Gentiles. Peter is preaching to the Jews. You're going to preach to the Gentiles. Boom. And so he said, yes, Lord. You remember when he got saved, he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm the guy you're persecuting. He said, okay. And God gifted him and God sent him out to preach. And so he said, there's nothing there. I did not volunteer. This is not a reward worthy. The word reward here could also be translated paycheck. It's the pay that he would get. He says, that's not reward worthy. He said, but instead, he said, what I have chosen to do is say, you know what? I want to be, I want to be all in to this, uh, this call of God. And so I'm going I'm to refuse the pay from those people to whom I preach the gospel. There's an, uh, another testimony word here in Acts chapter 20. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessity. These, his own hands have, have provided for his necessity and for those who are with me. I have shown you in every way my personal example to you by laboring like this is that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's a little trivia note for you. That little phrase is not recorded in the Gospels. Jesus heard, or Paul heard that word from Jesus personally, and this is the only place that it's written in the Scripture. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not in this for the money. Verse 18, at the end of it, he says, I present the gospel without charge so that I may not abuse my authority. That's a bad translation. The the NIV and the New American Standard really gets it right when they say that I may not use my rights fully. The Apostle Paul said, I have the right to be supported, but I'm setting that aside because I am so committed to the gospel. And I want the people to whom I preach the gospel to know that I am committed to the gospel more than just a paycheck. It would not have been an abuse for Paul to be paid, but he felt that his own commitment could only be expressed by going above and beyond God's minimum call of duty. In Paul's life, the minimum call to duty would have been to preach the gospel. Now for some people, you, know, you might look at the role of a full-time you know, pastor, missionary, evangelist, whatever you'd like to call him, and say, wow, that's, that's, that's a commitment. In the Apostle Paul's heart, that was the minimum commitment. The maximum commitment was to say, I will do it without pay. I will trust God for my support. A few years ago, uh, Sue and I had a chance to go to Hawaii. We, we did not stay in a house like that. Um, we stayed with Randy and Kazia Curry uh, when he was stationed there in the army. And uh, they toured us all around. And we walked to the top of some small mountain and swam in the ocean and visited the historic military sites and ate some fine local food. Can you imagine going to Hawaii and sitting in a hotel room or an apartment and just looking at it? Well, it looks really nice out there. I've heard the the ocean water is warm. That That was on my bucket list, to swim in a warm ocean. 
That's the first time I'd ever done it, you know. And uh, that, you know, the rest of it I don't care about too much. But, but can you imagine just sitting there in, in a room looking at it and thinking, that, I bet that's really something. Um, you're there. You're in Hawaii. You're experiencing a little bit of it, the visual part, the, the temperature part. But you're not really in the, the, uh, the experience that you could be having. Say, Pastor Dave, what's that got to do with this? The Apostle Paul said, I don't want to sit in a room and look at the ministry. I want to go all in. All in. That's what he was talking about in Philippians 3. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain him and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. The Apostle Paul looked at Christ and he said, I want to be like that. And he believed for him Again, he, he, this was not a rule that was created for everybody who would follow, but for him to be all in, to be, to be striving to be like Christ as much as he could in the ministry, he had to say no to the support of those to whom he was witnessing. He was all in. He did not pursue God's minimum. Is it your goal to do God's minimum or are you shooting for the maximum? I, I, you know, I think one of the differences between American Christianity in general and in a lot of other places in the world could be this statement right here. I think it's easy for us to shoot for the minimum and somehow we've gotten comfortable there. The Apostle Paul said, no, I don't want to shoot for the minimum. I want to shoot for the maximum involvement. So he gave up his right to financial support, and he explains that to these folks and tries to give an example to them of how they should give some things up. He also gave up the right to live in liberty. Look at verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews, to those who are under law as under law that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. The Apostle Paul purposefully limited his spiritual freedom. He says there, I am free from all men. In other words, what he's saying is, nobody is compelling me to live the way I live, to minister the way that I minister. Nobody came to Paul and said, now, Paul, you should not take those offerings. Nobody said that. He said, I am free from all men. Paul was not enslaved to people. He did not adapt his ministry 
out of the fear of offending someone or because he was still weak in his spiritual understanding of the issues of law and culture. Oh, somebody might be scared. Oh, somebody might be mad. And so he, he didn't go around living his life that way. He chose to adapt his life and culture as much as needed in order to help people know Christ. And he mentions three categories. I I believe there's just three categories. The first one is Jews, people under the law. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew. As to those under law, I became as under law. I think the second phrase is explaining the first phrase. He's saying, I didn't just be, you know, Paul was already ethnically Jewish or racially Jewish, whatever you want to call it. He was born as a Jew, and so he didn't, become a Jew, like you know, we use the term convert today when some people become switch religions. It wasn't that he changed. He said it's a matter of how he, how he the outward expression of his life. Second category, I'm calling it Gentiles. He doesn't use the word Gentile right there, but he says people not under the law. In Paul's day, this was the big, this was the major way that a a person who was raised in Judaism, this is how they would see the world. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There are people under God's law, people not under God's law. That was, that was the great divide. But he adds a third category, weak. People struggling with the law and culture. And what I mean by that is they're trying to integrate perhaps what they were raised with, what they've been taught, where they're at in their personal growth, with the culture in which they live. And so the Apostle Paul says, I have been willing to bend on all three of these categories in order to help people hear the gospel. What's an example of that? Well, here's one that's pretty extreme, I think. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. That's the same guy that bears the name of those two books later in the New Testament the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Timothy was from a spiritually split home, a believing mom and an unbelieving dad, or at least from two different cultural traditions. He was well-spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. He was a a good Christian young man. Paul wanted to have him go with him on the missionary journey, And so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, in one way you'd say uh, Paul's commitment wasn't as big as Timothy's. Right? But Paul never pushed people to do things that he didn't believe were absolutely right. You could go to the book of Galatians and find him confronting Peter about Peter's hypocrisy in the face of of some Jewish rules and whatnot. But there were times when when Paul said, this is going to be important. Now, I hate to be be, uh, overly uh, explicit today, but you have to ask the question, how would they know whether he was circumcised or not? They would know because they had public baths. In other words, people didn't have bathtubs in their homes. They had these public baths, and 
when it was time for your weekly or monthly or whenever it was that you took a bath, you would go there and other men would see whether he was circumcised or not. And the apostle Paul said, we're going out to share the gospel and this guy's gonna be my assistant and if I'm gonna preach the gospel to Jewish people, they're gonna look at him and say, he doesn't follow the law, I'm not listening to you. And some Christians today would say, that's his loss then, isn't it? How far are you willing to go so that people would listen to the gospel? Hmm, tough question. Um, here is another example. Now, I, I do want to give you the balance here so you don't get the wrong idea. Paul did not bend on doctrine at all. We're not talking about changing the message. Here's an example. Paul vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scripture that Jesus is the Christ. So when, when he was actually out there preaching, he didn't hesitate to, to talk about Jesus and to use the name Jesus. But when it came to the cultural adaptation or the physical adaptation, he was willing to adapt there so people would open the door and listen to the message. Obviously, one of the biggest things with the Jews would have had to do with, with diet and food, but there would have been other things in terms of how they dressed and where they went and uh, any number of changes they would have had to have made. There's a little phrase that's been coined based on this passage and others in the New Testament that's a good one to learn if you haven't, and it's this, give no offense but the offense of the cross. In other words, when we preach the gospel, some people are offended. In fact, the reason people don't like the phrase Merry Christmas is because it has the name Christ in it. You can say Merry Xmas, you can say Happy Holidays, you can say all kinds of things, but when you bring the name of Christ into the discussion, people are offended. And the Apostle Paul would say, you know, there's nothing you can do to get rid of the name of Jesus, for there is no other name given among heaven by which men must be saved. But when it came to how he dressed, how he ate, even something as significant as circumcision, the apostle Paul was willing to bend when he was with the Jewish unbelievers, he kept the law. We're talking about unbelievers here now. Get this, not Christians. We're talking about unbelievers, people who have not yet become believers in Christ. When he was with the Jewish unbelievers, he kept the law. When he was with Gentile unbelievers, he left the Jewish life behind. But not in a sinful way. Look at verse 21. He said, I, I, I have never broken God's law. In other words, he, he's making a separation between the ceremonial and the outward and the cultural and the real law of God. You know, laws like uh, not lying or uh, adultery or murder or, or things of substance. We don't have, we don't have to sin to connect with sinners. 
Paul was speaking of the outward choices of a Jew or a Gentile, eating of certain foods, wearing of certain clothes, working on the Sabbath or not. And I, I want you to try to get a hold of how big of a sacrifice this was for Paul. And so we go back to Philippians 3 to the part that we don't read as often where he gives his testimony, his, really his pedigree, his resume. I was circumcised the eighth day as a baby. In other words, my parents were Jews who were following the law right from the beginning of my birth circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was out of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, he was, he was a real Jew through and through. Concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. I want you to stop and think about the Apostle Paul and think about everything you remember from the Pharisees in the Gospels. Remember how antagonistic they were to Jesus? Remember all their little rules? They kept making things up. That's the kind of Jew Paul was. Paul wasn't a, oh, you know, la-di-da, I'm a Jew, but what, what's it matter? He was, he was over the top. Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, he was such a Jew and such a Pharisee that he was persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Nobody could point a finger at him and say, you're not following this or that part of the Old Testament. Wow. He was a Pharisee. What was his attitude have been toward Christians and toward non-Jews? I think it would be the attitude of this guy. The Pharisee who's at the temple praying stood and prayed with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I think that's what Paul was like before he got saved. Now, how quickly do you shed off that kind of prejudice? Do you accept Christ one day and the next day you're turning around going, I just love Gentiles. In fact, I'd like to have some pork for dinner right now. Think about it. His whole life was going in, in one direction and God turned that around and sent him in a different direction. Not only... Is he born again and going to preach the gospel? He's going to preach it to the Gentiles, the people that he thought the least of. Was it easy for Paul to let go of his life as a Jew and a Pharisee? No. Now turn the coin over and let's think about this. Scripture talks about the fact that the Old Testament law was a burden on people. And so if Paul kept it blamelessly, he had to work at it all the time. Work, work, work. Oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I have to do this, I have to do that. You know, it said that they would tithe by counting out the seeds. Make sure they gave exactly 10% of their seeds. Can you imagine the burden that all of that all of the Old Testament law plus the burden of the Pharisees on him. Can you imagine how one day when he, he, he accepted Christ, he said, man, my sins are gone. I can tell my heart is clean. How great is this? 
you know, he could have just said, man, I just want to run and be with Christ. And next thing you know, God says, you go over there and talk to those Gentiles. And when you're in town and there's Jews, you go and talk to those Jews too. And the Apostle Paul thought about it real hard and he said, you know what? If I'm gonna reach the Jews, I'm gonna have to act like them at least on the outside so that they will listen to me. And when I'm with the Gentiles, if I act like a stuck-up Jewish Pharisee, they aren't gonna listen to me. How hard would it have been to, to go back under the law, to go without the law, to be constantly shifting around? That was not an easy thing for him. Why did Paul adapt his life to all these folks? Look at verse 19. I'm free from all men. Even though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. The word servant there means slave. I have enslaved myself to people. In other words, I, I, I see myself as being here to serve them, not them to serve me. And so I adapt my behavior for their sake. It's not hard for me to think of some of our missionary friends when I read a text like this. In fact, I would put it this way. If we had a missionary come here who said, I wanna go to country XYZ. Now the people in country XYZ all act like this and this and this, but I'm never gonna act like them because I don't like the way they behave. They, they don't act like Americans. And we know that our American culture is better than their culture. And so I'm never gonna be like them. And would you be thinking, let me get my wallet right out. No, you'd be thinking, wait a minute. You've got to, you know, yeah, there's some bad elements in their culture, but there's some elements that are not wicked, and you've got to connect with them and love them and help them. You've got to eat their food. You've got to speak their language. You know that our, our missionary women in the country of Togo cannot wear pants at all because only immoral women wear pants, especially shorts. This is, where the, this is the place in the north of Togo where the thermometer literally will peg out at times. And they willingly change their behavior because their goal is to reach people for the Lord. How far will you go to reach people for Christ? The real challenge for us when we read this text is to go fast forward and say, what does that look like today? Well, I think I've just described to you what it looks like for missionaries. And you know, I, I've told you before about one of our, our missionaries in a country where there, there is a, a, a majority religion that doesn't eat pork, and there is a minority religion that doesn't eat beef, and so our missionary says we eat a lot of chicken. Seriously, that would give offense to those people. How far will you go? What does it look like in Whatcom County? I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what it looks like in your situation, but, 
I, I have a sense that there's a few things we ought to think about. One of those is politics. Now, whether the Apostle Paul had been a Democrat or a Republican, mm, neither. You see, now, I, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not arguing for one side or the other. What I'm arguing for is this, this question. Are you so expressive and demonstrative with your political views that you could never have a gospel conversation with a person of the different political views? Would they listen to you? That's my point. You know, whether you're on the extreme right or on the extreme left, would you be willing to set that aside? I'm not saying that you need to change your beliefs, but would you change your expression? Would you change what's on your Facebook? What's the most important thing you could possibly express in your Facebook? Condemnation for the government or exaltation of the Savior? The Apostle Paul never spoke bad about the Roman government. And they were worse than ours. What about ignoring the way people dress or the way they decorate their bodies? Perhaps ignoring, looking past trying to find ways to connect with people who come from other cultures or language groups, looking past wickedness to see an eternal soul. One of the small ways that we've done that as a church is with our event on October 31st. And we've expressed some of these thoughts to you in brief ways over time. But that's, do we love Halloween, no. Could we adapt and do some righteous things that might serve and connect? Yes. How does God want you to adapt? I don't know. I don't know the answers to all of that. But I know this verse. You, brethren, have been called to liberty. We're free in Christ, but... The goal of liberty is not to please your flesh, but through love to serve one another. The liberty that you have in Christ should fuel your ministry as in, it's so great to be free. But it should not fuel a selfishness. Well, there's one more right that the Apostle Paul gave up here in verse 23. And uh, I've called it, he gave up the right to seek his own joy. Look at verse 23. Now this I do, I do, I, I make all these adaptations, I'm willing to change my life, I do this, verse 23, for the gospel's sake, so that I may be partaker of it with you. He didn't do it to please himself, he didn't do it to get a paycheck. That's part of what he's trying to say. I'm not trying to get paid here, I'm trying to serve the Lord, I'm trying to declare the gospel. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, 
in the Old Testament, you will see God speak about what I, what I would call the common joys of life. He says there's nothing better for a man than that he work all day, that he come home and eat, and that he sleep well at night. The common stuff of life. Uh, we, we raise a family, we have a job, we take care of our, our life, our house, or whatever. Um, the, those are gifts from God. God intends for us to live in that rhythm, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the simple pleasures. But the question we have to ask, and we have to look at Paul's life and say, is my life wrapped up in the simple pleasures? Or can I set that aside and embrace God's ministry? When Paul talks about the joy of his life, it was always about seeing people come to faith in Christ. Now I'm doing this, I'm laying aside my rights so that I can be a partaker of it with you. Look at what Paul said about the Thessalonian Christians. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Nothing blessed Paul more and seeing people come to faith in Christ and seeing them become disciples. That's what, that's what really drove his life. That's why he laid aside his rights. He said, yeah, I've got all these rights, but, but you know, if I lay it aside, these people are gonna come to faith in Christ. I can remember our son being born. I didn't get to uh, observe the magic of childbirth because of the way the regulations were in those days and the circumstances of his birth. Um, then I can remember, I have a real visual picture of holding him up and him looking through the windows of the nursery back in the day when the babies weren't with the mom in the room and say, those are your sisters right there. And he's all happy, you know. There's nothing like that parent-child relationship except the spiritual parent and child relationship. The person who proclaims the gospel partakes in the results of the gospel when someone believes in Christ. Paul made sacrifices, he gave up his rights, he gave up the, the pleasures of, of life, if we would say, nothing wicked about that, but he gave that up to get the greater pleasure. So my question today is for you and me, is, is your life wrapped up in the simple pleasures God has given us, or do you give up some of your rights to help others know the Lord? If you had asked Paul what he wanted for Christmas, it would have been more people to believe in Christ as his savior. Warren Wearsby put it this way, Paul had one great goal in life, the, to glorify the Lord by winning the lost and building up the saints. To reach this goal, he was willing to pay any price. He was willing even to give up his personal rights he sacrificed immediate gains for eternal rewards, immediate pleasures for 
eternal joys. Here's even the bigger question. What do you suppose Christ wants for Christmas? It's become fashionable in recent years. Uh, Children's ministries will have a birthday party for Jesus. It's his birthday. We should honor him. That's lovely. That's lovely. I don't think Jesus wants a cake so much as he wants us to take up his ministry and seek and save those who are lost like he did when he came the first time. He wants his followers to do what he did, even if it requires giving up some of our rights. Heavenly Father, it is tough for us to let go of the simple pleasures of life. We like our daily lives. We like our families. We like our routines. And it's hard for us to set some things aside to invest in the ministry to others. Help us to do that. Help us to really consider what Christ would like for Christmas. How we can mirror his coming when we seek those who don't know you. Father, may your word find its root in our life. I pray in Christ's name, amen.